Hello, my friends, and welcome to this episode of Numa. I'm your host, Daniel Finneran. Thank you so much for joining me. Thomas Traherne was a little-known English poet, writer, theologian, and Anglican cleric to whom the much better-known Christian apologist, professor, and writer C.S. Lewis introduced me. Lewis was profoundly influenced by Traherne's genius, by which I, too, upon reading his only extant work, Centuries of Meditations, found myself completely swept away. For a bit of background, Traherne was a contemporary of John Milton, of whom it would be a gross understatement to say I'm a huge fan. Milton is, without a doubt, my favorite writer in poetry prose or polemics, no matter the genre, Milton ranks supreme. Although Traherne offers no threat to Milton's placement atop my list, his beauty of composition his depth of feeling, his sincerity of belief, his faith in God, and his pure, unadulterated love of nature deserve not only our acknowledgement, but our applause and our reverential study. The manner in which he extols and glorifies nature, anticipates the view held and expressed by the romantics. Read him. And you might forget that you're reading a little-known priest who died on the eve of the last quarter of the 17th century. As it happens, Traherne and Milton died in the same year. You'll be forgiven for thinking that you're reading not an obscure cleric, 
who died over a decade before the glorious revolution. But the immediate precursor to Wordsworth, Coleridge, Blake, and Keats. Central to Traherne's philosophy are the infinite goodness of God, the boundless love that he imparts to us, a recognition of our similitude to him, the attainment of wisdom, the pursuit of felicity, and the awe-inspiring grandeur of nature. Now, as you know, this isn't an explicitly religious channel. On so intimate and sensitive a matter, Numa takes no definitive stand. It no doubt flirts time and again with themes that are spiritual, in some cases, numinous. But it neither exerts itself to proselytize nor push you in any direction toward any creed. Indeed, I have neither the inclination nor, more importantly, the qualification to do so. With that disclaimer behind us, I want to proceed with Traherne's commentary on the sun. That's right. We're going to talk about the sun, that unblinking, inextinguishable orb of light to which we awaken each day. Animated, to be sure, by his ardent feeling of religious awe and his childlike love of nature, Three passages from Traherne's meditations struck me as being exceptionally beautiful. I felt compelled for this reason to share them with you. We'll begin at this point, our little celebration of the sun. Please, if you aren't already, make yourself comfortable. If you can, close your eyes. At the very least, close your mouth. 
Place your tongue on the tissue, just behind your top front teeth. Relax your jaw. Feel the pressure around your temples. Release. Let your brow soften. Let it fall to its resting position. Soften your gaze. Let your shoulders lower. Draw them back. Inhale deeply through your nose. Fill your abdomen. Hold the breath for a couple of seconds and let it go. And let's begin. Traherne invites us to suppose the sun were absent. That's right. Imagine it were gone. Poof. Vanished. Removed from the firmament completely. Wiped clean away from the sky. Is this not the type of supernova image out of which apocalyptic horror films are made? Conceive the world, Jern tells us, to be a dungeon of darkness and death about you. It's a terrible sight. But, having seen it in our mind's eye, let us consider the following. As Traherne assures us, you will, having conceived the sunless world as a dungeon of darkness and death about you, find his beams more delightful than the approach of angels, and loathe the abomination of that sinful blindness, whereby you see not the glory of so great and bright a creature, because the air is filled with its beams. Thankfully, we live in a world illuminated by the sun. But is this actually something for which we're grateful? Do we ever acknowledge this gift? Do we ever imagine the alternative? Do we ever consider the bounty of goods with which the sun provides, nay, showers us 
do we ever count the ways in which it makes life livable? Or are we blind to its inexhaustible bounty? Do we avert our eyes not from its burning glow, in whose powerful radiance the naked eye can't long sustain its stare, but from all the good it provides us? Hmm. Worry not. Traherne is here to help us with that. Let us count the sun's innumerable deeds. According to Traherne, the sun raises corn to supply you with food. It melts water to quench your thirst. It infuses sense into all your members. It illuminates the world to entertain you with prospects. It surrounds you with the beauty of hills and valleys. Well, if that were all, the sun would be deserving of our everlasting gratitude and praise. But it does more still. It moves and labors night and day for your comfort and service. It sprinkles flowers upon the ground for your pleasure. And in all these things it shows you the goodness and wisdom of a God that can make one thing so beautiful, delightful, and serviceable, having ordained the same to innumerable ends. I just love that line. It sprinkles flowers upon the ground for your pleasure. Not only flowers, in whose sweet aroma, in whose divine perfume we love to bask, but plants of every variety, every blade of grass, Every fallen leaf is infused with this inestimable solar power, this divine gift. Traherne goes on. The sun concocts minerals, raises exhalations, begets clouds sends down the dew and rain and snow that refresh and repair all the earth. It is far more 
glorious in its diurnal or daytime motion. And if there were two suns to make on either side a perpetual day, the swiftness whereby it moves in 24 hours about so vast a universe manifests the power and care of a creator more than any station or quiet could do. But what if the sun were different? What if it were other than it is? In pondering this hypothetical, Churn is unhesitant. If, by way of some interruption in the normal cosmological order, the sun were to stand still and you were to live beneath the inextinguishable light of perpetual day, you would not know the sweetness of repose, the delightful vicissitudes of night and day, the early sweetness and spring of the morning, the perfume and beauty in the cool of the evening would all be swallowed up in the meridian splendor, all which now entertain you with delights. The antipodes, the ends of the earth, would be empty, perpetual darkness and horror there. And the works of God on the other side of the world in vain. There must be balance. As great as the sun is, we must welcome the moon at the end of each day. Truly, it's only because we anticipate or remember its absence that the sun's rising or its setting impacts us so much. If the sun never left the sky, if it remained forever suspended and fixed at the height of its career, We'd enjoy neither dawn nor dusk nor the sleep-inducing night. We'd lose out on so much that this mysterious world has to offer. Take a deep breath in. 
and exhale. Again, a deep breath in and exhale. I don't mean for you to go outside and begin worshipping the sun. It's not my purpose to have you build up brazen idols to this celestial orb. It is not, so far as I know, a deity to which you should be praying. Perhaps hidden behind its gleaming brilliance. There exists a greater, more lustrous being still. The point is to appreciate something of which, in truth, we very seldom take any real notice. To be grateful for a power without whose daily return nothing on this earth could live. To delight in something so common, yet so essential to our being. The point is to be thankful and to glorify nature's beauty and nature's author. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Numa. Be sure to like this video, leave a comment, share it with some friends, and subscribe to this channel. You can visit my website and reach out to me with thoughts, questions, criticisms, or recommendations. Until then, fare thee well, from Numa. <laughs>